Well, praise God. Praise God for it's here. He is still in the miracle business. Because <clears throat> just a month ago, that woman right there didn't think she would ever be able to sing again. Praise God for what he's done. I appreciate you, Miss Pam. Miss Pat, Miss Pam. Both of you. <clears throat> well, everybody good? Today we're gonna we're gonna take a step back from our from our study in Nehemiah. We're at the halfway point, and so we're gonna take a little bit of a break, and uh, we'll pick it back up next week. But you know, I had all intentions of preaching the next chapter of Nehemiah chapter eight until I walked out my door Friday morning, and so I figured because of what I saw, I needed to preach on hell today. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. Um, no, seriously, I, I wanted us to take a little bit of a break and, uh, and I want to preach on hell because it's something that is not preached in our churches near enough. Adrian Rogers says that if more, more, more hell was preached from the pulpit, there'd be less hell in the streets. And that's true. It's true. It's not an attractive topic, but, uh, uh, it, it doesn't make you feel all warm and, and cozy on the inside, but, uh, we're going to preach on it today. We're going to talk about it today because it's more or less avoided for the things that are attractive. And so uh, we're going to talk about it today. It's not going to be something that is attractive, but it's going to be something. It's a reality we need to, to know. It's a reality we need to understand. ABC News uh, did a survey a few years back. Here's what they found. It said 70% of Americans believe in heaven which is a figure that I thought was kind of high anyway, but it said 70% of Americans believe in heaven, but only 56% believe in hell. Now that's, uh, I got a simple mind, you know, I'm not a very smart man, but that doesn't make sense to me. You know, logic would tell you that those numbers should be identical. If, if somebody, if a person believes in heaven, they should believe in hell too, right? They should be the same, but nothing's logical anymore. I, I read a post on Facebook this week that, uh, Somebody local posted about one of those uh, gender reveal parties, um, and here one of the comments from that on that post, and I'm not kidding you, this was somebody, they were dead serious. They said, how can you reveal the gender of a kid that's not born yet? They aren't here to decide what gender they want to be. Ignorance. Ignorance. That's the America we live in now, folks. Zero logic, zero common sense. But this, this topic of hell... A lot of times people get uncomfortable when a topic comes up, and so we might be a little uncomfortable this morning, but it's, it's a reality we need, to, to, we need to realize. So let me start by giving you a story of a chaplain, a military chaplain. He reported to a new assignment on a new, on a new base, and so he gets there. He met the men that uh, he was going to be serving at this base, and after they talked for a while, they asked the chaplain if he believed in a literal hell, and the chaplain responded that he did not believe in a literal hell, and the men immediately asked him to resign and leave. He's kind of taken back and surprised, and he asked them why. Here's what they told him. They said, if there's no hell, then we don't really need you. But if there is a hell, we don't want you to lead us astray. So I think it made their point. If, if there's a heaven, but there's no punishment, if there's no actual place of hell, then we might as well turn the lights off, lock the doors, and leave this place because there's no use in this church or any other. But there is a hell. There is a hell. It's a very real place. And so what is hell? What is hell? That's, that's what we're going to discuss this morning. First of all, hell is uh, 
probably one of the most common, if not the most common, and frequently used words in the English language. We throw the word around carelessly. We use it as an exclamation or an interjection, but we never stop to consider that in reality, before it's anything else, it's a noun. It's a place. It's a very real place. And so let's look at what Scripture describes it to be. Go ahead and be turned into Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. For some reason or another, there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians. They claim themselves to be Christians, but they have, they've come to the conclusion that hell's just disappeared. It's not there anymore. I mean, I get that unbelievers don't believe in hell. I mean, I get that. I can believe in that, that unbelievers don't believe in the existence of hell. But there's a large seg segment of believers who just ignore it. They say hell's a concept, and it's a concept that's out of step with our time today. And I think one reason the doctrine of hell gets neglected is it's, it's, there's, it's difficulty reconciling the love of God with the place of hell. They can't wrap their mind around it. And so the fact of the matter is, as we meet right now, there are millions upon millions upon millions of people in this conscious torment that they'll be in forever in hell. That's beyond the grasp of the human mind. We can't realize, we can't understand that or reconcile that with our mind. So what we've done is we've told ourselves that it's okay to, uh, to buy into the belief that hell's just a concept. As a matter of fact, the doctrine of hell has driven a lot of people away from Christianity altogether. One of the things I read this week, one man said that he wouldn't want to be in hell with a God who sent, or he wouldn't want to be in heaven with a, with a God that sends people to hell. They're cults and they're other religions who, who admit the existence of hell. Those groups believe in God, but they say he's a God of love and only love. Catholicism omits it. They teach purgatory and universalism. Christian science says hell's an error of the mortal mind. Jehovah's Witness says that uh, the wicked will be annihilated. All, and we'll talk a little bit about that a little bit later on. Uh, Mormonism teaches universalism too. They say that, that all will be saved and will not suffer eternal punishment. And the Seventh-day Adventist says God will someday blot out all sin and sinners and establish a clean universe once again. A couple other views. There's the rationalist view. The rationalist says that there's no God, therefore there can't be a hell. They say they don't believe in God, they don't believe in the existence of God, and because of that, there's no hell. The poster child of that would be uh, Charles Darwin. He says, uh, he, he, he called hell a damnable doctrine. Now think about that, that's an exact quote from Charles Darwin. He said, hell is a damnable doctrine. And I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but it makes absolutely zero sense to me. Because if it's damnable, what damns you to wear? If there's no God and there's no hell, then what's damnable about believing in whatever you want? It, it, it doesn't make any sense. If he doesn't believe in God, then why is a belief that you would have that's opposite to his damnable? doesn't make sense. The other group of people who attack the doctrine of hell are the ridiculers. The ridiculers say that there may be a God, but it's silly for us to speculate about the millions of disembodied spirits who are somewhere in a lake of fire. So why do all of these people, all of these different groups, find hell to be so offensive? Why is it offensive? Fear, that's, that's a good one. I think personally it's because of our insensitivity to sin. Our insensitivity to sin. See, if Satan can make you different, indifferent towards hell, then he wins in a sense. If he can take away any consequence of rejecting the divine love of God, then there's nothing for us to be conscious of. Let me tell you something, it's, it's real, and this book says it's real. 
All right, and that's all I need. So Luke chapter 16, let's all stand. Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. We'll start in verse 19. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was left at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man who died, the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send them to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so they, will also, so they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. And Lord, as we study this morning and grasp the reality of the place of hell, let us fall on our knees and praise to you. Because hell is a very real place, a place that, that none of us should ever desire to want to go to. And Lord, I just pray that we're, that we're all would understand that it is real, that Jesus spoke of it, and that you created it for all of those who would die in their sin. Lord, we love you. And Lord, I just pray that you would, your Holy Spirit would fall upon this place and would open our eyes and our ears and our minds to the words that are spoken here this morning. Lord, I, I pray that I would decrease so that you might increase and speak to your people this morning. Lord, take me out behind the shed because I'm not needed here, but only you, your spirit and your word is what's needed amongst us today. I love you. I thank you. And we give you all the praise, honor, and glory. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. So this, this story that Jesus told us, this parable that he told, shows us what kind of place hell is. So what is hell? What kind of place is hell? The first point is that hell is a place of unrelenting torment. Hell is a place of unrelenting torment. Verse 23 says, And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. So there's this idea that some, some godly theologians came up with that I, that I mentioned earlier. It's annihilation. Here's what annihilation is. They say that hell is, is being judged by God, but then simply exterminated. You just disintegrate. You're, you're, you're extinguished. You cease to exist. I imagine that there are millions of people in hell right now that'd like to get them some annihilation. They would love to cease to exist. But listen, hell is personal. And all of those in hell are in a, a conscious agony and in a conscious torment. Every person in hell is, is there as if though they're the only person there. You, you don't have anyone to lean on. There, there's nobody to suffer with. 
I, I can't tell you how many times, Marty and I talked about this before church this morning, but I can't tell you how many times I've heard this same statement, and I'm sure you've heard it too while witnessing to people, oh, I know I'm going to hell. I'm going and all my friends are going to be there too. Wrong. That's not going to happen. You're going to be there. Yeah, probably, but you're going to be there all alone. You're not going to have your buddies there. It's not going to be some big party. You will be in a conscious, lonely state of torment. That's what hell is. Look what our text says, verse 23. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw. So the rich guy in hell is the same rich guy that was in verse 19. So there's a continuity in, in, in the afterlife with who we are in this life. He's the same person. He's conscious and he's suffering. So hell's a place of unrelenting torment. It's also a place of unquenchable thirst. Hell is a place of unquenchable thirst. Verse 24, Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. So he only asked for a drop of water. He didn't want the whole cup. He just wanted just a drop of water. Just imagine the thirst and torment he was going through and the agony he was going through to just want a drop of water on his tongue. And listen, it's a, it's a never-ending thirst. It'll never be quenched. It's, it's a thirst that, that only gets worse as time passes. So you, they'll be, he'll be more thirsty tomorrow than he is today. He'll be more thirsty 10,000 years from now than he is today. There's no satisfaction that'll ever come. I want you to write this down. Hell is the raw soul of a person combined with an indestructible body that's exposed to its own sin for all of eternity. I'm going to repeat it. Hell is the raw soul of a person combined with an indestructible body that's exposed to its own sin for all of eternity. If everybody, has anybody ever asked you for a definition of sin? That's it. Hell is the raw soul of a person combined with an indestructible body that's exposed to its own sin for all of eternity. So hell's a place of unrelenting torment. It's a place of unquenchable thirst. Here's our next one. It's a, it's a place of unbearable pain and misery. I can't. Hell is the raw soul of a person combined with an indestructible body that's exposed to its own sin for all of eternity. Did everybody get it? Okay. So hell's also a place of unbearable pain and misery. Unbearable pain and misery. So like I said, it's real. It's a real place and it's going to be felt and it's going to be experienced by every person who goes there. At the end of verse 24, rich man says, I'm in agony in this flame. Y'all turn to uh, Revelations chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. I want you to turn there so you can read this as I read it to you or you can see it. Revelation 14. Somebody say hallelujah when you get there. Oh, y'all there. Revelation chapter 14, starting verse 10, it says, He will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is mixed, which is mixed full strength in the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb. Verse 11, and the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in his image or anyone who receives the mark of his name. 
And some of you in here may be hurting. You got back pain, you got knee pain, you got uh, joint pain, you got arthritis, you got bursitis, you got gingivitis, you got all kind of itises. Whatever it is. But listen, understand this, the pain you feel right now, it will not, it cannot, it will not compare to the misery you'll encounter in hell. There's no rest, there's no peace, there's no comfort. Hell's a place of, of unquenchable raging guilt without any painkillers. There's no sedatives to help you in hell. It's constant torment, it's constant pain, no comfort or rest. So hell's a place of unrelenting torment, unquenchable thirst, unbearable pain and misery. It's also a place of unending memory and remorse. A place of unending memory and remorse. Verse 25, Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received the good things just as Lazarus received the bad things. But now he's comforted here while you are in agony. A lot of times in Scripture, y'all remember Jesus mentioned several times, more than once, he talked about the, uh, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. And there's sign, that, those are signs of emotional suffering. So hell's a place of, of, of eternal sadness. You know, it's, life's, life's hard enough as it is, right? Sometimes we wish we could just erase memories that we have like a chalkboard. But honestly, studies have shown that, uh, that that's why there's so many suicides today. People are haunted by their memories. They're haunted by them. But look, in hell, there's no Alzheimer's disease. Everybody in hell goes there with a crystal clear memory. They remember everything about their rejection of God. Everything. Let me give you this illustration. You ever bought something on a whim and you regretted it later? What's that called? Buyer's remorse. My wife would call it our wedding day. But fortunately, you can uh, you can take I'm kidding. You can take things back and you can exchange them and get a refund, right? Well, in hell there will be remorse, there will be regret, but it won't be over something you did. It'll be over something you didn't do, which is respond to God and His call on your life. So if you sit here today without Jesus and then you die in your sin, you will go to hell, number one. But number two, while you're there, the words I'm speaking to you this morning and every time anybody has ever witnessed to you and shared the love of Christ with you in the past will torment you for all of eternity. It'll never leave your mind. You will regret the decision of rejecting Jesus forever and you will have nobody to blame but yourself. It'll torment you for all of eternity. So hell's a place of unrelenting torment. It's a place of unquenchable thirst, a place of unbearable pain and misery, a place of unending memory and remorse. Here's the next one. Hell's also a place of unimaginable separation. Hell's also a place of unimaginable separation. Verse 26, besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those from there cross over to us. So it's fixed, right? It's done. It's fixed. It's a done deal. When somebody enters the doors of hell, the doors close. They're never going to be reopened. They close for all of eternity. So some Christians reject the idea of, um, of that hell is eternal. We talked about that. They cling to the stance of annihilation, which again says that, that people will just cease to exist. 
Jesus said in Matthew uh, 25, 46, he said, then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So, so hell is death. It's a second death. And the sinner who dies physically in his sins are going to be separated from God, separated from God in the presence of others forever, for all of eternity. And I, and I said it earlier, I'll say it again, that, that every person in hell is there as if they're the only person there. They're in hell as if they're the only person in hell. There's no companionship. There's no relationships. The exact opposite of what heaven is, is what hell is. The only presence anybody's going to know is the presence of the consuming fire of God. That's the only presence they will know. If there were no darkness, if there were no fire, if there was, if there was no devil, guess what? Hell would still be hell. Let me say that again. If there was no darkness, if there was no fire, if there, if there, were, if there were no devil, hell would still be hell because of the separation of the grace and peace of God. Man was created for fellowship with God, Right? And so no man has ever known peace and joy outside of Christ. And so that separation from God and a relationship with Christ for all of eternity is pure hell. So hell's a place of unrelenting torment and unquenchable thirst and unbearable pain and misery and unending memory and remorse and unimaginable separation. Hell's also a place of unfailing frustration and anger. Hell's also a place of unfailing frustration and anger. Verses 27 and 28, Father, he said, then I beg you to send them to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so they also won't come to this place of torment. Those verses, what we see is, is man totally unchanged. Totally unchanged. Even in hell, his nature is still self-centered as it ever was. He has a burden for the lost, but only those in his own family. Only those that he's close to. So these verses show us that, that even when men find themselves in the reality of hell, they're still wretched and as lost as they've ever been. As a matter of fact, we can go back to all those times that Jesus mentioned the gnashing of teeth, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew 8, 12, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's, that, that's showing and that's telling us and that's saying that, that even in hell, man will be damning and cursing God. He's not begging for repentance or a second chance. But, but, but the person in hell is going to be screaming out, I don't deserve this. I was a good person. Why would a good God send a good person like me to hell? What kind of good God would do that? I'll tell you what kind. A holy and just God. That's who will send a person like a good person to hell. See, in hell, sinners are confirmed in their sin. Sinners are confirmed in their sin. They're not liberated from it. So the rich guy was even more arrogant. He, he was, and in hell, he was even more guilty and even more evil. That's what happens as time goes by. People in hell hate God. And there's, no, there's nothing in hell that will sway them to the love of God. Their hatred for God and for all that, that, that's good will continue to grow and will consume them for all of eternity. So we've seen hell as a place of unrelenting torment unquenchable thirst, place of unbearable pain and misery, a place of unending memory and remorse, a place of unimaginable separation, a place of unfailing frustration and anger. And finally this morning, we see that hell's a place of undiluted divine wrath for all eternity. Hell is a place for, of undiluted divine wrath for all of eternity. 
Verse 26 says, again, besides all of this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those from there cross over to us. So every day in hell will be like the first day. Like the beginning, because there's a never end. There's never an end. So every day is going to be like the very first day that you went. Daniel 12, 2 says that in those, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So the wrath that, that Jesus took on the cross when the sky turned black, and it was as black as a thousand midnights, when it turned black, it's the same caliber wrath that every man will encounter for his rejection of Jesus. See, Jesus took on God's wrath for us so we didn't have to bear it for ourselves. So if we choose to die in our sin, then the debt that we owe will be so astronomical that we'll be unable to pay for it. We won't have the ability or the wages to pay for it. That's why it takes all of eternity to satisfy the wrath of God. Unbelievers are guilty, right? They're eternally guilty. And so there's no work or no amount of suffering that can save people from the full weight of their sin at all. So people have, to, people have to know and they have to understand the goodness of God, but in order to do that, they have to understand or, or they can't understand His goodness until they first see what they're being delivered from. You know, we talk about that all the time. I, I do. I know I talk about it. You can't understand the good news until you understand the bad news. And the bad news is who you are, right? It's your condition before God. So what's the ultimate benefit of being saved? The ultimate benefit of being saved, what is it? It's not to get you from, from here to heaven. That's not the ultimate benefit of being saved. The ultimate benefit of being saved is being us being spared from the wrath of God. The mind of God, the holy mind that created the perfect place of heaven is the same perfect mind that created hell. The same mind. So, so who's all going to be in hell? Scripture says that Satan and his angels will be there. Scripture also says the false prophets are in hell. Scripture says the Antichrist will be there. And then all those who don't know God and who don't obey the gospel those are the ones whose names are not found in the book of life. They'll be there in hell as well. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 said, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You remember the Titanic? The captain and the crew, they were warned about the iceberg two hours before they actually hit it. it, it big old gash down the side after they hit the iceberg and it sunk and 1,500 people, over 1,500 people died. So if you say you're the captain of your own soul, let me tell you something. If you, if you think that you're the captain of your own life, the captain of your own soul, then you better hear and heed the warning and change captains. John, John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and who does, who does not, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains in him. That's hell. That's a biblical picture of hell, and it should scare us to death. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray this morning that each and every one of us have a better grasp and a better understanding, not on the concept of hell, but on the actual real place that you have created for all sinners who die apart from you. God, I pray we understand it. I pray we, we understand who we are apart from you, and that's your enemy. If we die as your enemy, hell is what we've got to look forward to. I pray no one here 
suffers that torment and that punishment that's described in your word. Lord, I pray as your gospel is proclaimed now that if there are any, any amongst us who even have the inkling that they're apart from you, that they would get that right today. That they would know that they are not on the wrong side of hell. Lord, I pray that happen. I pray your spirit would go and work amongst us this morning as your gospel is proclaimed. We ask you this now in Jesus' wonderful and holy and beautiful name. And everybody said, Amen. So, how do you escape hell? You escape hell by believing the saving gospel revealed in this book. And knowing that there's no other name under heaven by which man must be saved. And that's the glorious name of Jesus. So if you trust him and trust him alone, if you put your God-granted faith in him and you repent of your sin and the grace of God will pour into your life and you'll be redeemed, regenerated, and renewed. I tell you every week that, uh, that today's the day of salvation. And it truly is because you're not guaranteed your next breath. And if you, if you walk out the doors today and you die in your sin, then this picture of hell that we saw today is a reality for you. And I don't want that for anybody here. I don't. I, being back, Look, walk in an aisle, walk in an aisle when you're eight years old may not be real. It may not have been real in your life. Uh, being baptized one, twice, ten times, that, that doesn't guarantee your salvation. Knowing who you are which is a sinner separated from God and knowing that your sin is what hung Jesus on the cross, knowing that he hung up there and took on the wrath of God for everything that you deserve. That was your punishment that he took when he took on the wrath of God. That's what you deserved. That's what I deserved. And now he offers you the clean record, the place in heaven that he deserves. The, so, so faith in Jesus, faith in Christ, faith in what he did, his work on the cross. That's what saves you. Not the faith in, the, in an aisle walk or the faith in baptism. That doesn't save you because that's putting faith in yourself and what you can do. That's putting faith in, in your work. And look, you ain't nothing but a wretched sinner. So you have nothing to offer God. Your works, there's nothing to offer God that would appease him to save you. So there's nothing you can do by walking an aisle or getting dunked in water that would say that God says you deserve to be saved. It's, it's all about the work of Jesus. Repent and turn from your sinful life and turn toward the life of love and forgiveness and grace that's offered in Christ. Look, you won't be perfect, but, you, but you'll be constantly being made into the image of God the rest of your life. You'll stumble and fall, but you'll always stumble forward, never back. So as we start to, y'all go ahead and stand, but as we, as we start this time of invitation, if you've never truly cried out to Jesus, today's the day of salvation. It is. Let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation about salvation. This morning, don't let the day end today and reject Christ again. Don't walk out these doors rejecting him if you constantly rejected him prior to this.